Chapter thirty nine of The Sword of Damocles by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From A to Z. A naked human heart. Young. My beloved child, so may I call you in this the final hour of our separation, but never again, dear one, never again. When I said to you, just twenty-four hours ago, that my sin was buried and my future was clear, I spake as men speak who forget the justice of God and dream only of his mercy. An hour's time convinced me that an evil deed, once perpetrated by a man, is never buried, so that its ghost will not rise. Do as we will, repent as we may, the shadowy phantom of a stained and unrighteous youth is never laid, nor is a man justified in believing it so, till death has closed his eyes, and fame written its epitaph upon his tomb. Paula, I am at this hour wandering in search of the being who holds the secret of my life, and who will to-morrow blazon it before all the world. It is with no hope I seek him. God has not brought me to this pass, to release me at last, from shame and disgrace, suffering and the loss of all my sad heart cherished, wait at my gates. Only one boon remains, and that is your sympathy and the consolation of your regard. These, though bestowed as friends bestow them, are very precious to me. I cannot see them go, and that they may not, I tell you the full story of my life. My youth was happy, my early youth, I mean. Bertram's father was a dear brother to me, and my mother a watchful guardian and a tender friend. At fifteen I entered a bank, the small bank in Grotewell, which you ought to remember. From the lowest position in it, I gradually worked my way up, till I occupied the cashier's place, and was just congratulating myself upon my prospects, when Ona Delafield returned from boarding school, a young lady. Paula, there is a fascination, which some men who have known nothing deeper and higher, call love. I, who in those days had cherished but few thoughts beyond the ordinary reach of a narrow and somewhat selfish business mind, imagined that the wellspring of all romance had bubbled up within me when my eyes first fell upon this regal blonde with her sleepy inscrutable eyes and bewildering smile. Ulysses, within sound of the siren's voice, was nothing to it. He had been warned of his danger, and had only his own curiosity to combat, while I was not even aware of my peril, and floated within reach of this woman's power, without making an effort to escape. She was so subtle in her influence, Paula, so careless in the very exercise of her sovereignty. She never seemed to command, yet men and women obeyed her peculiarities which mar the matron are often graces in a young unmarried girl whose thoughts are a mystery 
and whose emotions an untried field. I believed I had found the queen of all beauty, and when in an unguarded hour she betrayed her first appreciation of my devotion, I seemed to burst into a paradise of delights, where every step I took only the more intoxicated and bewildered me. My first realisation of the sensuous and earthly character of my happiness came with the glimpse of your child face on that never-to-be-forgotten day when we met beside the river. Like a star seen above the glare of a conflagration, the pure spirit that informed your glance flashed on my burning soul, and for a moment I knew that in you budded the kind of woman nature which it befitted a man to seek, that in the hands of such a one as you would make, should he trust his honour and bequeath his happiness. But when did a lover ever break the bonds that imprisoned his fancy at the inspiration of a passing voice? I went back to Ona and forgot the child by the river. Paula, I have no time to utter regrets. This is a hard, plain tale which I have to relate. But if you love me still, if, as I have sometimes imagined, you have always loved me, think what my life had been if I had heeded the warning which God vouchsafed me on that day, and contrast it with what it is and what it must be. I went back to Ona then, and the hold which she had upon me from the first took form and shape. As well as she could love any one, she loved me, and though she had offers from one or two more advantageous sources, she finally decided that she would risk the future and accept me if her father consented to the alliance. You, who are the niece of the man of whom I must now speak, may or may not know what that meant. I doubt if you do. He left Grotewell while you were a child, and any gossip concerning him must ever fall short of the real truth. Enough, then, that it meant if Jacob Delafield could see in my future any promises of success sufficient to warrant him in accepting me as his son-in-law, no woman living ought to hesitate to trust me with her hand. He was the squire of the town, and as such entitled to respect, but he was also something more, as you will presently discover. His answer to my plea was, Well, how much money have you to show? Now I had none. My salary as cashier of a small country bank was not large, and my brother's prolonged sickness and subsequent death, together with my own somewhat luxurious habits, had utterly exhausted it. I told him so, but added that I had, somewhere up among the hills, an old maiden aunt, who had promised me five thousand dollars at her death, and that, as she was very ill at that time, hopelessly so, her neighbours thought, in a few weeks I should doubtless be able to satisfy him with the sight of a sum sufficient to start us in housekeeping, if no more. He nodded at this, but gave me no distinct reply. Let us wait, said he. But youth is not inclined to wait. 
I considered my cause as good as won, and began to make all my preparations accordingly. With a feverish impatience, which is no sign of true love, I watched the days go by, and waited for, if I did not anticipate, the death which I fondly imagined would make all clear. At last it came, and I went again into Mr. Delafield's presence. My aunt has just died, I announced, and stood waiting for the short, concise, Go ahead then, my boy, which I certainly expected. Instead of that, he gave me a queer, inexplicable smile, and merely said, I want to see the greenbacks, my lad. No colour so good as green, not even the black upon white of I promise to pay. I went back to my desk in the bank, chagrined. Owner had told me a few days before that she was tired of waiting, that the young doctor from the next town was very assiduous in his attentions, and as there was no question as to his ability to support a wife, why? She did not finish her sentence, but the toss of her head and her careless tone at parting were enough to inflame the jealousy of a less easily aroused nature than mine. I felt that I was in hourly danger of losing her, and all because I could not satisfy her father with a sight of the few thousands which were so soon to be mine. The reading of my aunt's will, which confirmed my hopes, did not greatly improve matters. I want to see the money, the old gentleman repeated, and I was forced to wait the action of the law and the settlement of the estate. It took longer than even he foresaw. Weeks went by, and my poor little five thousand seemed as far from my control as on the day the will was read. There was some trouble, I was not told what, that made it seem improbable that I should reap the benefit of my legacy for some time. Meanwhile, Ona accepted the attentions of the young doctor, and my chances of winning her dwindled rapidly day by day. I became morbidly eager and insanely jealous. Instead of pursuing my advantage, for I undoubtedly possessed one in her own secret inclination towards me, I stood off and let my rival work his way into her affections unhindered. I was too sore to interrupt his play, as I called it, and too afraid of myself to actually confront him in her presence. But the sight of them riding together one day was more than I could endure, even in my spirit of unresistance. He shall not have her, I cried, and cast about in my mind how to bring my own matters into such shape as to satisfy her father, and so win her own consent to my suit. My first thought was to borrow the money, but that was impracticable in a town where each man's affairs are known to his neighbour. My next was to hurry up the settlement of the estate by appeal to my lawyer. The result of the latter course was a letter of many promises, in the midst of which a great temptation assailed me. Colonel Jaffa, of whose history you have heard more or less true accounts, was at that time living in the old mansion you took such pains to point out to me in that walk we took together in Grotewell. He had suffered a great anguish in the flight and degradation of his only daughter, 
and though the real facts connected with her departure were not known in the village he was so overcome with shame and so shattered in health he lived in the utmost seclusion opening his doors to but few visitors among whom i for some unexplained reason was one he used to say he liked me and saw in me the makings of a considerable man and i because he was colonel jaffa and a strong spirit returned his appreciation and spent many of my bitter and unhappy hours in his presence it was upon one of these occasions the temptation came to which i have just alluded i had been talking about his health and the advisability of his taking a journey when he suddenly rose and said come with me to my study i of course went the first thing i saw upon entering was a trunk locked and strapped i am going to europe to-morrow said he to be gone six months i was astonished for in that town no one presumed to do anything of importance without consulting his neighbours but i merely bowed my congratulations and waited for him to speak for i saw he had something on his mind that he wished to say at last it came out he had a daughter he said a daughter who had disgraced him and whom he had forbidden his house she was not worthy of his consideration yet he could not help but remember her and while he never desired to see her enter his doors it was not his wish that she should suffer want he had a little money which he had laid by and which he wished to put into my hands for her use provided anything should happen to him during his absence she is a wanderer now he cried but she may one day come back and then if i am dead and gone you may give it to her i was not to enter it in the bank under his name but regard it as a personal trust to be used only under such circumstances as he mentioned the joy with which i listened to this proposal amounted almost to ecstasy when he went to his desk and brought out five one thousand dollar bills and laid them in my hand it is not much said he but it will save her from worse degradation if she chooses to avail herself of it not much oh no not much but just the sum that would raise me out of the pit of despondency into which i had fallen and give me my bride a chance in the world and last but not least revenge on the rival i had now learned to hate i was obliged to give the colonel a paper acknowledging the trust but that was no hindrance i did not mean to use the money only to show it and long before the colonel could return my own five thousand would be in my hands and so and so and so as the devil reasons and young infatuated ears listen colonel jaffa thought i was an honest man nor did i consider myself otherwise at that time it was a chance for clever action a bit of opportune luck that it would be madness to discard 
on the day the vessel sailed which carried colonel jaffa out of the country i went to mr delafield and showed him the five crisp banknotes that represented as it were by proxy the fortune i so speedily expected to inherit you have wanted to see five thousand dollars in my hand said i there they are his look of amazement was peculiar and ought to have given me warning but i was blinded by my infatuation and thought it no more than the natural surprise incident to the occasion i have been made to wait a long time for your consent to my suit said i may i hope that you will now give me leave to press my claims upon your daughter he did not answer at once but smiled eyeing meanwhile the notes in my hand with a fascinated gaze which instinctively warned me to return them to my pocket but i no sooner made a move indicative of that resolve than he thrust out his cold slim hand and prevented me let me see them cried he there was no reason for me to refuse so simple a request to one in mr delafield's position and though i had rather he had not asked for the notes i handed them over he at once seemed to grow taller so this is your start off in life exclaimed he i bowed and he let his eyes roam for a moment to my face many a man would be glad of worse smiled he then suavely you shall have my daughter sir i must have turned white in my relief for he threw his head back and laughed in a low unmusical way that at any other time would have affected me unpleasantly but my only thought then was to get the money back and rush with my new hopes into the room from which came the low ceaseless hum of his daughter's voice but at the first movement of my hand towards him he assumed a mysterious air and closing his fingers over the notes said these are yours to do what you wish with i suppose i may have blushed but if i did he took no notice what i wish to do with them returned i is to shut them up in the bank for the present at least till owner is my wife oh no 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 you do not came in easy almost wheedling tones from the man before me you want to put them where they will double themselves in two months and before i could realize to what he was tempting me he had me down before his desk showing me letters documents etc of a certain scheme into which if a man should put a dollar to-day it would come out three and no mistake before the year was out it is a chance in a thousand said he if i had half a million i would invest it in this enterprise to-day if you will listen to me and put your money in there you will be a rich man before ten years have passed over your head i was dazzled i knew enough of such matters to see that it was neither a hoax nor a chimera he did have a good thing and if the five thousand dollars had been my own but i soon came to consider the question without that conditional he was so specious in his manner of putting the affair before me so masterful in the way he held on to the money he gave me no time to think 
"'Say the word,' cried he, "'and in two months I bring you back ten thousand for your five. "'Only two months,' he repeated. "'And then, slowly, Ona was born for luxury. "'Paula, you cannot realise what that temptation was. "'To amass wealth had never been my ambition before.' but now everything seemed to urge it upon me dreams of unimagined luxury came to my mind as these words were uttered a vision of ona clad in garments worthy of her beauty floated before my eyes the humble home i had hitherto pictured for myself broadened and towered away into a palace i beheld myself honoured and accepted as the nabob of the town I caught a glimpse of a new paradise, and hesitated to shut down the gate upon it. "'I will think of it,' said I, and went into the other room to speak to Ona. Ah, if some angel had met me on the threshold, if my mother's spirit, or the thought of your dear face, could have risen before me then, and stopped me. Dizzy, intoxicated with love and ambition, I crossed the room to where she sat, reeling off a skein of blue silk, with hands that were whiter than alabaster. Kneeling down by her side, I caught those fair hands in mine. Ona, I cried, will you marry me? Your father has given his consent, and we shall be very happy. She bestowed upon me a little pout, and half mockingly, half earnestly, inquired, what kind of a house are you going to put me in i cannot live in a cottage i will put you in a palace i whispered if you will only say that you will be mine a palace oh i don't expect palaces a house like the jaffers would do not but what i should feel at home in a palace she added lifting her lordly head and looking beautiful enough to grace a sceptre then archly for her and papa has given his consent yes i ardently cried then dr burton might as well go she answered i will trust my father's judgment and take the palace when it comes after that it was impossible to disappoint her paula in stating all this i have purposely confined myself to relating bare facts. You must see us as we were. The glamour which an unreasoning passion casts over even a dishonest act, if performed for the sake of winning a beautiful woman, is no excuse in my own soul for the evil to which I succumbed that day, nor shall it seem so to you. Bare, hard, stern, the fact confronts me from the past that at the first call of temptation i fell and with this blot on my character you will have to consider me unhappy being that i am i did not realize then however all that i had done the operation entered into by mr delafield prospered and in two months i had as he predicted ten thousand dollars instead of five in my possession besides i had just married owner and for a while life was a dream of delight and luxury 
but there came a day when i awoke to an insight of the peril i had escaped by a mere chance of the die the money which i had expected from my aunt's will turned out to be amongst certain funds that had been risked in speculation by some agent during her sickness and irrecoverably lost the expression of her good will was all that ever came to me of the legacy upon which i had so confidently relied i was sitting with my young wife in the pretty parlour of our new home when the letter came from my lawyer announcing this fact and i never can make you understand what effect it had upon me the very walls seemed to shrivel up into the dimensions of a prison cell the face that only an hour before had possessed every conceivable charm for me shone on my changed vision with the allurement but also with the unreality of a will-o'-the-wisp all that might have happened if the luck instead of being in my favour had turned against me crushed like a thunderbolt upon my head and i rose up and left the presence of my young wife with the knowledge at my heart that i was no more nor less than a thief in the eyes of god if not in that of my fellow-men a base thief who if he did not meet his fit punishment was only saved from it by fortuitous circumstances and the ignorance of those he had been so near despoiling the bitterness of that hour never passed away the streets in which i had been raised the house which had been the scene of my temptation mr delafield's face and my own home all became unendurable to me i felt as if each man i met must know what i had done and secret as the transaction had been it was long before i could enter the bank without a tremor of apprehension lest i should hear from some quarter that my services there would no longer be required the only comfort i received was in the thought that ona did not know at what a cost her hand had been obtained i was still under the glamour of her languid smiles and countless graces and was fain to believe that notwithstanding a certain unresponsiveness and coldness in her nature her love would yet prove a compensation for the remorse that i secretly suffered my distaste for grotewell culminated it was too small for me the money i had acquired through the use of my neighbour's funds burned in my pocket i determined to move to new york and with the few thousands i possessed venture upon other speculations but this time in all honesty yes i swore it before god and my own soul that never again would i run a risk similar to that from which i had just escaped i would profit by the money i had acquired oh yes but henceforth all my operations should be legitimate and honourable my wife who was fast developing a taste for ease and splendour seconded my plans with something like fervour while mr delafield actually went so far as to urge my departure you are bound to make a rich man said he and must go where great fortunes are to be secured 
He never asked me what became of the five thousand dollars I returned to Colonel Jaffa upon his arrival from Europe. So I came to New York. Paula, the man who loses at the outset of a doubtful game, is fortunate. I did not lose. I won. As if in that first dishonest deed of mine, I had summoned to my side the aid of evil influences. Each and every operation into which I entered prospered. It seemed as if I could not make a mistake. Money flowed towards me from all quarters. Power followed, and I found myself one of the most successful and one of the most unhappy men in New York. There are some things of which a man cannot write, even to the one dear heart he most cherishes and adores. You have lived in my home, and will acquit me from saying much about her, who, with all her faults and her omissions, was ever kind to you. But some things I must repeat, in order to make intelligible to you, the change which gradually took place within me as the years advanced. Beauty, while it wins the lover, can never of itself hold the heart of a husband who possesses aspirations beyond that which passion supplies. Reckless, worldly, and narrow-minded as I had been before the commission of that deed which embittered my life, I had become, by the very shock that followed the realisation of my wrongdoing, a hungry-hearted, eager-minded, and melancholy-spirited man, asking but one boon in recompense for my secret remorse, and that was domestic happiness and the sympathetic affection of wife and children. Woman, according to my belief, was born to be chiefly and above all the consoler. What a man missed in the outside world, he was to find treasured at home. What a man lacked in his own nature, he was to discover in the delicate and sublimated one of his wife. Beautiful dream, which my life was not destined to see realised. The birth of my only child was my first great consolation. With the opening of her blue eyes upon my face, a wellspring deep as my unfathomable longing bubbled up within my breast. Alas, that very consolation brought a hideous grief. The mother did not love her child. And another strand of the regard with which I still endeavoured to surround the wife of my youth parted and floated away out of sight. To take my little one in my arms, to feel her delicate cheek press yearningly to mine, to behold her sweet infantile soul develop itself before my eyes, and yet to realise that that soul would never know the guidance or sympathy of a mother, was to me at once rapture and anguish. I sometimes forgot to follow up a fortunate speculation in my indulgence of these feelings. I was passionately the father, as I might have been passionately the husband and the friend, Geraldine died. How, and with what attendant circumstances of pain and regret, I will not, dare not, state. 
the blow struck to the core of my being. I stood shaken before God. The past, with its one grim remembrance, a remembrance that in the tide of business successes and the engrossing affection which had of late absorbed me, had been well-nigh swamped from sight, rose before me like an accusing spirit. I had sinned, and I had been punished. I had sown, and I had reaped. More than that, I was sinning still. My very enjoyment of the position I had so doubtfully acquired was unworthy of me. My very wealth was a disgrace. Had it not all been built upon another man's means? Could the very house I lived in be said to be my own, while a Jaffa existed in want? In the eyes of the world, perhaps yes, in my own eyes, no. I became morbid on the subject. I asked myself what I could do to escape the sense of obligation that overwhelmed me. The few sums with which I had been secretly enabled to provide Colonel Jaffer during the final days of his ruined and impoverished life were not sufficient. I desired to wipe out the past by some large and munificent return. Had the Colonel been living, I should have gone to him, told him my tale, and offered him the half of my fortune. But his death cut off all hopes of my writing myself in that way. Only his daughter remained, the poor, lost, reprobated being, whom he was willing to curse, but whom he could not bear to believe suffering. I determined that the debt due to my own peace of mind should be paid to her. But how? Where was I to find this wanderer? How was I to let her know that a comfortable living awaited her, if she would only return to her friends and home. Consulting with a business associate, he advised me to advertise. I did so, but without success. I next resorted to the detectives, but all without avail. Jacqueline Jaffa was not to be found. But I did not relinquish my resolve. Deliberately investing a hundred thousand dollars in government bonds, I put them aside for her. They were to be no longer mine. I gave them to her and to her heirs as completely and irrevocably, I believed, as if I had laid them in her hand and seen her depart with them. I even inserted them as a legacy to her in my will. It was a clear and definite arrangement between me and my own soul. And after I had made it, and given orders to my lawyer in Grotewell to acquaint me if he ever received the least news of Jacqueline Jaffa, I slept in peace. Of the years that followed, I have small need to speak. They were the years that preceded your coming, my Paula, and their story is best told by what I was when we met again, and you made me know the sweet things of life by entering into my home. Woman as a thoughtful, tender, elevated being had been so long unknown to me. The beauty of the feminine soul, with its faith fixed upon high ideals, was one before which I had ever been ready to bow. All that I had missed in my youth, 
all that had failed me in my maturing manhood seemed to flow back upon me like a river i bathed in the sunshine of your pure spirit and imagined that the evil days were over and peace come at last a rude and bitter shock awoke me owner's father who had followed us to new york and of whose somewhat chequered career during the past few years i have purposely forborne to speak had not been above appealing to us for assistance at such times as his frequently unfortunate investments left him in a state of necessity these appeals were usually made to owner and in a quiet way but one day he met me on the street it was during the second winter you spent in my home and dragging me into a restaurant downtown began a long tale to the effect that he wanted a few thousands from me to put into a certain investment which if somewhat shady in its character was very promising as to its results and gave as a reason why he applied to me for the money that he knew i had not been above doing a wrongful act once in order to compass my ends and therefore would not be liable to hesitate now it was the thunderbolt of my life my sin was not then buried it had been known to this man from the start with an insight for which i had never given him credit he had read my countenance in the days of my early temptation and guessed if he did not know where the five thousand dollars came from with which i began my career as speculator worse than that he had led me on to the act by which he now sought to hold me having been the secret agent in losing my aunt's money he knew at the time that i was cherishing empty hopes as regarded a legacy from her yet he let me dally with my expectations and ensnare myself with his daughter's fascinations till driven mad by disappointment and longing i was ready to resort to any means to gain my purpose it was a frightful revelation to come to me in days when if i were not a thoroughly honest man i had at least acquired a deep and ineradicable dread of dishonour answering him i know not how but in a way that while it repudiated his proposition unfortunately acknowledged the truth of the suppositions upon which it was founded i left him and went home a crushed and disheartened man life which had been so long in acquiring cheerful hues was sunk again in darkness and for days i could not bear the sight of your innocent face or the sound of your pure voice or the tokens of your tender and unsuspecting presence in my home but soon the very natural thought came to comfort me that the sin i so deplored was as much dead now as it was before i learned the fact of this man's knowledge of it that having repented and put it away i was as free to accept your gentle offices and the regard of all true men as ever i had been and beguiled by this plausible consideration 
i turned again to my one visible source of consolation and in the diversion it offered let the remembrance of this last bitter experience pass slowly from my mind the fact that mr delafield left town shortly after his interview with me and smitten by shame perhaps forbore to acquaint us with his whereabouts or afflict us with his letters may have aided me in this strange forgetfulness but other and sharper trials were in store trials that were to test me as a man and as it proved find me lacking just where i thought i was strongest paula that saying of the bible let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall might have been written over the door of my house on that day ten months ago when we two stood by the hearthstone and talked of the temptations that beset humanity and the charity we should show to such as succumb to them before the day had waned my own hour had come and not all the experience of my life not all the resolves hopes fears of my later years not even the remembrance of your sweet trust and your natural recoil from evil were sufficient to save me the blow came so suddenly the call for action was so peremptory one moment i stood before the world rich powerful honoured and beloved the next i saw myself threatened with a loss that undermined my whole position and with it the very consideration that made me what i was but i must explain when i entered the madison bank as president i gave up in deference to the wishes of mr stuyvesant all open speculation in wall street but a wife and home such as i then had are not to be supported on any petty income and when shortly after your entrance into my home the opportunity presented itself of investing in a particularly promising silver mine out west i could not resist the temptation regarding the affair as legitimate and the hazard if such it were one that i was amply able to bear but like most enterprises of the kind one dollar drew another after it and i soon found that to make available what i had already invested i was obliged to add to it more and more of my available funds until to make myself as intelligible to you as i can it had absorbed not only all that had remained to me after my somewhat liberal purchase of the madison bank stock but all i could raise on a pledge of the stock itself but there was nothing in this to alarm me i had a man at the mine devoted to my interests and as the present yield was excellent and the future of more promise still i went on my way with no special anxiety but who can trust a silver mine at the very point where we expected the greatest result the vein suddenly gave out and nothing prevented the stock from falling utterly flat on the market but the discretion of my agent who kept the fact a secret 
while he quietly went about getting another portion of the mine into working order. He was fast succeeding in this, and affairs were looking daily more promising, when suddenly an intimation received by me in a bit of conversation, casually overheard at that reception we attended together, convinced me that the secret was transpiring, and that if great care were not taken, we should be swamped before we could get things into working trim again. Filled with this anxiety, I was about to leave the building in order to telegraph to my agent, when, to my great surprise, the card of that very person was brought in to me, together with a request for an immediate interview. You remember it, Paula, and how I went out to see him, but what you did not know then, and what I find some difficulty in relating now, is that his message to me was one of total ruin, unless I could manage to give into his hand for immediate use the sum of a hundred thousand dollars. The facts making this demand necessary were not what you may have been led to expect. They had little or nothing to do with the new operations, which were progressing successfully and with every promise of an immediate return, but arose entirely out of a lawsuit then in the hands of a Colorado judge for decision, and which, though it involved well nigh the whole interest of the mine, had never till this hour given me the least uneasiness, my lawyers having always assured me of my ultimate success. But it seems that notwithstanding all this, the decision was to be rendered in favour of the other party. My agent, who was a man to be trusted in these matters, averred that five days before, he had learned from most authentic sources what the decision was likely to be. That the judge's opinion had been seen, he did not tell me how, he dared not, nor did I presume to question, but I have since learned that not only had the copyist employed by the judge turned traitor, but that my own agent had been anything but scrupulous in the use he had made of a willing and corruptible instrument and that if I wanted to save myself and the others connected with me from total and irremediable loss, I must compromise with the other parties at once, who not being advised of the true state of affairs, and having but little faith in their own case, had long ago expressed their willingness to accept the sum of a hundred thousand dollars as a final settlement of the controversy. My agent, if none too nice in his ideas of right and wrong, was, as I have intimated, not the man to make a mistake, and when to my question as to how long a time he would give me to look around among my friends and raise the required sum, he replied, ten hours and no more. I realised my position, and the urgent necessity for immediate action." The remainder of the night is a dream to me. There was but one source from which I could hope, in the present condition of my affairs, to procure a hundred thousand dollars, and that was from the box where I had stowed away the bonds destined for the use of the Jaffa heirs. To borrow was impossible, even if I had been in possession of proper securities to give. I was considered as having relinquished speculation, 
and dared not risk the friendship of mr stuyvesant by a public betrayal of my necessity the jaffa bonds or my own fortune must go and it only remained with me to determine which paula nothing but the ingrained principle of a lifetime the habit of doing the honest thing without thought or hesitation saves a man at an hour like that strong as i believed myself to be in the determination never again to floor my manhood by the least action unworthy of my position as the guardian of trusts earnest as i was in my recoil from evil and sincere as i may have been in my admiration of and desire for the good i no sooner saw myself tottering between ruin and a compromise with conscience than i hesitated hesitated with you under my roof and with the words we had been speaking still ringing in my ears owner's influence for all the trials of our married life was still too strong upon me to think of her as deprived of the splendour which was her life daunted my very soul i dared not contemplate a future in which she must stand denuded of everything which made existence dear to her yet how could i do the evil thing i contemplated even to save her and preserve my own position for and you must understand this i regarded any appropriation of these funds i had delegated to the use of the jaffers as a fresh and veritable abuse of trust they were not mine i had given them away unknown to any one but my own soul and god i had deeded them to a special purpose and to risk them as i now proposed doing was an act that carried me back to the days of my former delinquency and made the repentance of the last few years the merest mockery what if i might recover them hereafter and restore them to their place the chances in favour of their utter loss were also possible and honesty deals not with chances i suffered so i had a momentary temptation towards suicide but suddenly in the midst of the struggle came the thought that perhaps in my estimate of owner i had committed a gross injustice that while she loved splendour seemingly more than any woman i had ever known she might be as far from wishing me to retain her in it at the price of my own self-respect as the most honest-hearted wife in the world and struck by the hope i left my agent at a hotel and hurried home through the early morning to her side she was asleep of course but i wakened her it was dark and she had a right to be fretful but when i whispered in her ear get up and listen to me for our fortune is at stake she at once rose and having risen was her clearest coldest most implacable self paula i told her my story my whole story as i have told it to you here i dropped no thread i smoothed over no offence torturing as it was to my pride i laid bare my soul before her and then in a burst of appeal such as i hope never to be obliged to make use of again 
asked her as she was a woman and a wife to save me in this hour of my temptation paula she refused more than that she expressed the bitterest scorn of my mawkish conscientiousness as she called it that i should consider myself as owing anything to the detestable wretch who was the only representative of the jaffers was bad enough but that i should go on treasuring the money that would save us was disgraceful if not worse and betrayed a weakness of mind for which she had never given me credit but ona i cried if it is a weakness of mind it is also an equivalent to my consciousness of right living would you have me sacrifice that i would have you sacrifice anything necessary to preserve us in our position said she and i stood aghast before an unscrupulousness greater than any i had hitherto been called upon to face ona repeated i for her look was cold do you realize what i have been telling you most wives would shudder when informed that their husbands had perpetrated a dishonest act in order to win them a thin strange smile heralded her reply most wives would returned she but most wives are ignorant did you suppose i did not know what it cost you to marry me papa took care i should miss no knowledge that might be useful to me and you married me knowing what i had done exclaimed i with incredulous dismay i married you knowing you were too clever or believing you to be too clever to run such a risk again i can say no more concerning that hour with a horror for this woman such as i had never before experienced for living creature i rushed out of her presence loathing the air she breathed yet resolved to do her bidding can you understand a man hating a woman yet obeying her despising her yet yielding i cannot now but that day there seemed no alternative either i must kill myself or follow her wishes i chose to do the latter forgetting that god can kill and that too whom and when he pleases going down to the bank i procured the bonds from my box in the safe i felt like a thief and the manner in which it was done was unwittingly suggestive of crime but with that and the position in which i have since found myself placed by this very action i need not cumber my present narrative handing the bonds to my agent with orders to sell them to the best advantage i took a short walk to quiet my nerves and realize what i had done and then went home paula had god in his righteous anger seen fit to strike me down that day it would have been no more than my due and aroused in me perhaps no more than a natural repentance but when i saw her for whose sake i had ostensibly committed this fresh abuse of trust lying cold and dead before me the sword of the almighty pierced me to the soul and i fell prostrate beneath a remorse to which any regret i had hitherto experienced was as the playing of a child with shadows had i by the losing of my right arm been able to recall my action i would have done it 
Indeed, I made an effort to recover myself. Had my agent followed up with an order to return me the bonds I had given him? But it was too late. The compromise had already been effected by telegraph, and the money was out of our hands. The deed was done, and I had made myself unworthy of your presence and your smile, at the very hour when both would have been inestimable to me. You remember those days, remember our farewell. Let me believe you do not blame me now for what must have seemed harsh and unnecessary to you then. There is but little more to write, but in that little is compressed the passion, longing, hope, and despair of a lifetime. When I told you, as I did a few hours ago, that my sin was dead and its consequences at an end, I repeat that I fully and truly believed it. The hundred thousand dollars I had sent west had been used to advantage, and only day before yesterday I was enabled to sell out my share in the mine for a large sum that leaves me free and unembarrassed to make the fortune of more than one Jaffa should God ever see fit to send them across my pathway. More than that, Mr. Delafield, of whose discretion I had sometimes had my fears, was dead, having perished of a fever some months before in San Francisco. And of all men living, there were none, as I believed, who knew anything to the discredit of my name. I was clear, or so I thought, in fortune and in fame. And being so, dreamed of taking to my empty and yearning arms the loveliest and the purest of mortal women. But God watched over you and prevented an act whose consequences might have been so cruel. In an hour, Paula, in an hour, I had learned that the foul thing was not dead, that a witness had picked up the words I had allowed to fall in my interview with my father-in-law in the restaurant two years before, an unscrupulous witness who had been on my track ever since and who now in his eagerness for a victim had by mistake laid his clutch upon our Bertram. Yes, owing to the similarity of our voices and the fact that we both make use of a certain tell-tale word, this patient and upright nephew of mine stands at this moment under the charge of having acknowledged in the hearing of this person to the committal of an act of dishonesty in the past. A foolish charge, you will say, and one easily refuted. Alas, a fresh act of dishonesty, lately perpetrated in the bank, complicates matters. A theft has been committed on some of Mr. Stuyvesant's effects, and that too, under circumstances that involuntarily arouse suspicion against some one of the bank officials. And Bertram, if not sustained in his reputation, must suffer from the doubts which naturally have arisen in Mr. Stuyvesant's breast. The story which this man could tell must, of course, shake the faith of any one in the reputation of him against whom it is directed and the man intends to repeat his story, and that too in the very ears of him upon whose favour Bertram depends for his life's happiness and the winning of the woman he adores. 
I adore you, Paula, but I cannot clasp you to my heart across another sin. If the detectives whom we shall call in tomorrow cannot exonerate those connected with the bank from the theft lately committed there, and the fact that you have been allowed to read this letter prove they have not, I must do what I can to relieve Bertram from his painful position by taking upon myself the onus of that past transgression, which of right belongs to my account. And this once done, let the result be for good or ill, any bond between you and me is cut loose for ever. I have not learned to love at this late hour, to wrong the precious thing I cherish. Death, as it is to me to say good-bye, to the one last gleam of heavenly light that has shot across my darkened way, it must be done, dear heart, if only to hold myself worthy of the tender and generous love you have designed to bestow upon me. Bertram, who is all generosity, may guess, but does not know, what I am about to do. Go down to him, dear. Tell him that at this very moment, perhaps, I am clearing his name before the wretch who has so ruthlessly fastened his fang upon him, that his love and Sicily's shall prosper, as he has been loyal and she trusting all these years of effort and probation, that I give him my blessing, and that if we do not meet again, I delegate to him the trust of which I so poorly acquitted myself. But before you go, stop a moment, and in this room, which has always symbolised to my eyes the poverty which was my rightful due, kneel and pray for my soul. For if God grants me the wish of my heart, he will strike me with sudden death after I have taken upon myself the disgrace of my past offences. Life without love can be born, but life without honour never. To come and go amongst my fellow men with a shadow on the fame they have always believed spotless, do not ask me to attempt it. Pray for my soul, but pray too that I may perish in some quick and sudden way before ever your dear eyes rest upon my face again. And now, as though this were to be the end, let me take my last farewell of you. I have loved you, Paula, loved you with my heart, my mind, and my soul. You have been my angel of inspiration, and the source of all my comfort. I kneel before you in gratitude, and I stand above you in blessing. May every pang I suffer this hour redound to you in some sweet happiness hereafter. I do not quarrel with my fate. I only ask God to spare you from its shadow. And he will. Love will flow back upon your young life, and in regions where our eye now fails to pierce, you will taste every joy which your generous heart once thought to bestow on Edward Sylvester. End of chapter 39